0: Hello, my friends. Today, I'm going to take you through a study from the Centers for Disease Control. That's the big U.S. public health agencies, you know. Uh, This study, I'm surprised they published it. It shows that people who recovered from the Delta variant actually have stronger immunity than people who get vaxxed alone. And it makes me ask, well, hang on, why aren't we allowing natural immunity to be recognized at a place of employment uh, to fly for anything, really? take you through the study. But first, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's the video version of this podcast. Go to rebelnewsplus.com. It's eight bucks a month, half the price of Netflix. In addition to my daily show, you also get weekly shows from Andrew Chapados, Sheila Gunn-Reed, David Menzies. And in fact, we're debuting a new show soon too. So lots there. It's more interesting than Netflix politically, we have more diversity of opinion. Stay with us. Uh, Here's today's podcast. Tonight, a CDC study says what we already knew. Natural immunity is better than a vaccine. So why are they still acting like Pfizer salesmen? It's January 21st, and this is the Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail why? when you're a biggest carbon There's consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Did you see this study? Look in the top left corner you you see that's from the CDC the Centers for Disease Control that's the public health deep state the massive American health agency that has led the so-called science on the pandemic in truth they've only exposed just how politicized science has become they have been very unscientific first to do what was necessary to use the pandemic to get Donald Trump out of office, and then, secondly, to sell Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, it seems. I didn't think a lot about the CDC before the pandemic, but if I did, I'm sure I would have respected it and treated it as an authority. Now I know that it and the US Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, are just as political as any other government institutions. I don't trust them, and I think I'm not alone in that regard. Every institution in our country has failed, and most American institutions have too. But look at this new study for what it's worth. I'll read the long title of it. that doesn't quite tell you what it's about, but sort of. COVID-19 Cases and Hospitalizations by COVID-19 Vaccination Status and Previous COVID-19 Diagnosis. California, New York, Maine, in November 2021. And then right under that, you see the date. Two days ago, this was published. And then you can see about 20 or so names of researchers with their credentials. Now, it's obviously a study full of scientific terminology, but they have an official summary in plain English. I'm going to read three lines slowly. Ready? During May to November 2021, case and hospitalization rates were highest among persons who were unvaccinated without a previous diagnosis. Before Delta became the predominant variant in June, case rates were higher among persons who survived a previous infection than persons who were vaccinated alone. By early October, persons who survived a previous infection had lower case rates than persons who were vaccinated alone. Okay, did you understand that? It used to be, says the CDC, that people who were unvaccinated and who didn't have COVID um, had a higher rate of infection and hospitalization, but then the new variant made its debut, um, Delta, and if you had natural immunity from that, or as they put it, if you survived a previous infection, you were actually less likely to get the virus after that than someone who was vaccinated. I think I'm explaining what they said. I read you their plain text. Now, I think that sounds obvious, but it's quite an admission from the CDC. In fact, immediately they jumped on their own study with this statement. They said: although the epidemiology of COVID-19 might change as new variants emerge. Vaccination remains the safest strategy for averting future SARS-CoV-2 infections, hospitalizations, long-term sequelae, and death. Primary vaccination, additional doses, and booster doses are recommended for all eligible persons. Additional future recommendations for vaccine doses might be warranted as the virus and immunity levels change. (laughs) Okay, got it. So you just literally reported that once people were sick from the Delta, and then had natural immunity, they actually do better than people with the vax only. But you're still recommending vaccinations, additional doses, boosters, et cetera, ad infinitum. You just told us natural immunity, people who recovered from Delta, was strong. But you just can't stop serving your political masters. Pitiful, this is what I mean by you can't trust the CDC. It's written so defensively, in such a way to downplay what they found. Previous SARS-CoV infection also confers protection against severe outcomes in the event of reinfection. Now this study tracks the disease over time as different variants of the disease were dominant. But let me read this to you slowly, okay? By the week beginning October 3rd, compared with COVID-19 cases, case rates among unvaccinated persons without a previous COVID-19 diagnosis case rates among vaccinated persons without a previous COVID-19 diagnosis were 6.2 fold in California and 4.5 fold in New York lower okay so so what they're saying is that the vaccine reduces cases compared to unvaccinated people who haven't been sick with it yet are you with me still But here's the key line. Here's the the center of this whole study. Rates were substantially lower among both groups with previous COVID-19 diagnoses, including 29-fold in California and 14.7-fold lower in New York among unvaccinated persons with a previous diagnosis. This is significantly stronger protection than the vaccine gives people who haven't been sick before. You have to get pretty deep into the verbiage to see this admission. Importantly, infection-derived protection was higher after the Delta variant became predominant, a time when vaccine-induced immunity for many persons declined because of immune evasion and immunologic waning So not only was natural immunity better, but it didn't fade away as quickly as the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines did. By the way, the CDC study here isn't the first to find this fact. Let me quote, As was observed in the present study after July, recent international studies have also demonstrated increased protection in persons with previous infection, with or without vaccination, relative to vaccination alone. Then, as usual, the study lists its possible limitations, and of course they all genuflect and pray to St. Fauci and the Church of Pfizer and say they really, really recommend vaccines and boosters. But you can't avoid the fact that they found getting sick and naturally recovering from it gives you better protection than the vaccine alone. They said it. This is not some conspiracy theory. This is the Centers for Disease Control, the public health deep state. They said it. So why isn't this natural immunity recognized anywhere in Canada or in the U.S. for that matter? Why can employers, especially government employers, fire people who have literally stronger immunity to the disease than vaccinated people do? Why can they force them to get vaxed when that brings the risks of an emergency use authorization vaccine to someone who's already immune? We're still learning about more side effects from these vaccines all the time. The latest one was about how vaccines change women's menstrual cycles. Hey, no worries, ladies, trust Justin Trudeau. He is your best interest at heart. So if if you're a nurse, let's say, and you had COVID-19 and you recovered from the disease, so you got strong antibodies, stronger than someone who is vaxxed alone, you can be fired and demonized And banned from flying on planes and taking the train and banned from going to a store and banned from going to a restaurant. But someone who is vaccinated and literally has less immunity than you is given a government pass. Novak Djokovic, the Serbian tennis star, got COVID, became immune, told that to the Australian government. And they granted him a vaccine exemption because of his strong antibodies. Then he arrived in Australia. And the government kicked him out, humiliating him, demonizing him, not because he was sick. I think he's got to be one of the world's healthiest men. Not because he was at risk from the vaccine, the disease. Excuse me, either catching it himself or giving it to others. This CDC study shows he was more immune than someone who was just vaxxed. But be, because they're not testing health. They're not testing immunity. They're just, I don't know, full-time big pharma salesmen. That's really it. Literally, that same tennis tournament in Australia is allowing another player to play while he's sick with COVID because he happens to be vaxxed. He's literally sick, but paid money to Pfizer, so everything's okay. Don't even let them tell you this is about science. You know, one last thing I'm thinking about it, these abusive rule makers. Do you remember the faces of nurses and doctors that were posted last year on social media about how bruised faces were because they were wearing tight N95 masks and goggles all day? They were quite dramatic, very sympathetic. Just FYI, there are schools across Canada and the United States now requiring students, including young students, to wear industrial style masks like that children for hours at a time sorry that's not science masks don't work in any real and meaningful way children are not at any real and meaningful risk from the disease in any event this is abusive never forget who is doing this to you and i don't know what you're made of but for me i'll never forgive them either Stay with us for more. You will be driving with the convoy starting in Calgary. Is that right? Give me a detail of what you're doing and when you're starting and what your route is going to be.
1: So on Sunday night, there will be two different um, truck convoys coming to Calgary from different directions. And they will meet in Calgary to stay overnight. And on Monday, they will go towards um, Regina. So on Sunday, I will be in Calgary. I will drive around to capture footage. And um, on Monday, I will drive with them to Regina and then all the way down to Ottawa, which will take a week. And it will cross um, across a lot of um, towns, cities, and merge with other convoys. It's very exciting. I will. What I will do is I'm charging my batteries right now, my camera, and um, I will bring the other side of the story. Basically, interview the truckers, um, publish some Twitter reports, YouTube videos to give updates on the convoy, um, get some drone footage of the of the tr- trucks. Basically, I will try to bring Canada a world class um, videography of the event.
0: Well, I believe that you will. You are our chief videographer. You've got great talent uh, editing and also using the drone. I think there'd be some wonderful footage of the convoy that that's just going to look gorgeous. I mean, Canada is truly a wonderful. I mean, I know that you came to you were born in Canada. You were raised in Turkey. You Mm -hmm. came back to Canada. So you're still sort of exploring the country. And I think that there's no finer way to get to know this land than to drive across it and to drive with such a good group of people will be a wonderful experience for you. And I know you're going to share that with us. I think you're going to make a lot of friends on the trip. You're going to meet friends who come out to meet the trucks. I bet you're going to see people at truck stops with signs, cheering them along. And yes, go ahead. Yeah. And
1: uh, my experience has been like that in other um, protests or events or um, when I went to other places to bring the other side of the story where I met with other um, fans. Um, All across the country, I have met with beautiful, wonderful people that I didn't even know existed. I didn't even know that such beautiful people existed. Um, They were very kind, very compassionate. And it's very interesting because um, I met with so many different Different in ideology, different in ethnicity, different in so many ways, religion, but they all welcomed me and um, such solidarity, such common ground is um, really valuable.
0: Well, I look forward to your report. So um, I know that you you mentioned you have a small car, but you're going to rent a more serious vehicle. I mean, if you're going across the country, you don't want to have a teeny tiny tin can. So we're going to rent... a a more serious vehicle for you, especially given that it's a winter time. Um, You're going to stay in motels along the way. Yes. Obviously you got to stop for food along the way. So we mentioned the crowd fund that's just for the truckers. So we don't get that big truck convoy money. That's for the truckers, but we are going to crowd fund for your journey, our own crowd fund. So, we got a, we're going to rent a car for you. I think we should get something with maybe four wheel drive. Cause if there's a, if there's a snowfall, if there's a blizzard, you you want to have a serious car for the highways. Absolutely. Especially, I mean, you're still a fairly young driver. Um, mm-hmm. motels along the way, there's no fancy accommodations, mm-hmm. but staying in, in, and you really, you're just going to use it to edit your video and sleep, obviously yes. food and gas along the way. And, um, so about a week there, and then you're going to come back probably about maybe almost two weeks in total. What do you think the total cost is going to be? Just sketching on the back of a napkin, I'm guessing that's 3500 to $4,000 in out-of-pocket costs. Does that sound about right?
1: Well, actually, it will probably be more given our op- operational costs. We have um, writers in the background. We have video editors in the background, social media people, and um these people are not doing that for free. They they also need to get paid. So when you add all these costs up, it's going to go a little higher. But at the end of the day, we will bring the best quality um, coverage that no other media will be able to bring, despite their millions of um, dollars from Justin Trudeau.
0: Well, I agree with you on that. I'd, I'd encourage people who want to get Mocha on the road to go to convoyreports.com. So at convoyreports.com, that's where you're going to post all your videos from the journey. And that's where people can go and get updated on where you are. And if they like your work as as much as I'm sure they will, they can chip in 50 bucks or 100 bucks. Chip in to fill up the gas tank. You know, gas is pretty expensive these days. Chip in to buy Mm -hmm. mocha lunch or dinner. We'd appreciate the help. That's convoyreports.com. I think you're going to do some beautiful journalism. And just brainstorming here for a bit, besides the daily updates maybe maybe there's a little documentary here like if you were following this story every day for a week that's quite a and to watch the crowds grow and the excitement of coming to ottawa and what happens to ottawa maybe there's a little movie like maybe a half hour or 45 minute documentary that comes out the other side in addition to the little daily updates. The reason I say that, Mocha, is it's important that we document this journey because I'm sure it won't be long before Justin Trudeau condemns these truckers as racists or misogynists or whatever names he calls. They're gonna try and demonize these truckers if they haven't already. Your mission is to tell the other side of the story, to tell the trucker's side of the story, to be honest and to push back against the lies. I think a documentary may be the best way to do that long-term absolutely
1: that could only be done after i come back to calgary to put together all the footage and um all the yeah um create a script and voiceover if anyone has watched our vaccine clinic exposé video uh, i'm sure we can leave a link in the description um they could see what we are capable of creating when it comes to documentaries and we i will make sure to bring uh, a high quality compelling uh, wonderful documentary for the other side of the story.
0: All right, well, there you heard from our chief videographer himself. There's his promise. If you chip into convoyreports.com, not only are you gonna get updates every day, but when he comes back to Calgary, he's gonna put it together into a compelling documentary. I believe you'll do that, Mocha. Thanks very much for joining us today, my friend. Safe journeys out there. Let's talk to make sure you get a a good vehicle. I wanna make sure you got something that's gonna do well on those highways if it's snowing. And you're in for a heck of a journey. I'm sorta jealous, to be honest. Because that's going to be a wonderful journey that you're going to look back on fondly for many years to come. Thanks for being here today.
1: Thank you. And thank you to our supporters.
0: Right on. There you have it. Mocha Bazir again, chief videographer of Rebel News. What a good egg. He's up for any adventures you can see. And I think he's going to do a great job of it. Well, stay with us. Um, Your letters to me are next. welcome back. Your feedback on Joe Biden's press conference, Mike Bruning says, depending on the day, he might not even know where Ukraine is on a map. Well, I don't know about him, but his son sure does. Of course, his son, Hunter Biden, taking millions of dollars from Ukraine, from uh, the wife of the former mayor of Moscow. Like, he's getting paid from all sorts. Um, I don't think it's helping anyone. I mean, really, I, I think by the time we're back here on Monday, Uh, half of Ukraine will be devoured by Vladimir Putin. And I don't even know what side Joe Biden's on. I don't know if he is. I don't know which side is paying his son more, but just his sheer fecklessness. I think uh, Ukraine's going to be devoured again. John Smethers says the Democrats will never be forgiven for foisting this man on the free world. You know, uh, Bad things happen when weak presidents. I mean, think of Jimmy Carter and how Afghanistan and Iran and all these other things happened on his watch. Same thing with Barack Obama. He signaled weakness. It was Obama and Biden who stood by and twiddled their thumbs when Putin marched into Ukraine the first time. And I'm afraid that we're just one year into it and the world has his measure. I think it's bad news. Um, I'm going to leave you with a video of the day. And it's Adam Sosa's interview with the comedian Jeremy McCollin. Bit of a change of pace. So hopefully that'll raise your spirits until I see you on Monday. On behalf of all of us here at Rubber World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom.
2: Democrats argue that banning abortion would endanger women's lives, violate the right to privacy, and send everyone who works at Planned Parenthood to prison. Although, to be fair... We don't like to use the word prison. It's more of a clump of cells. The other day we got into an argument because she was saying that women still make 77 cents for every dollar that a man makes, right? But like I explained to her, that's just because men naturally gravitate towards higher paying professions, like doctor or engineer or CEO. Whereas women, this is true, just naturally gravitate towards lower paying professions, like female doctor
3: and female engineer and female CEO. People are so like divisive, right? Like every day I hear things like real Catholics can't be Democrats, right? Real Catholics can't be Democrats. And like, when you say that, like, guess what? You're talking about my devout grandmother in Georgia, okay? Who voted for Biden, goes to mass every day, and would be so upset to to hear those words if she hadn't died in
4: 1974,
2: okay? but she voted for Biden anyway. But South Carolina actually has a very rich progressive history. I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, South Carolina actually started the war that ended slavery.
1: Warning, censorship. Warning, censorship.
4: Adam Sos here for Rebel News. With everyone being locked down over the past two years, people have been consuming more media than ever. Whether it be online, in person occasionally, or on Netflix, comedy specials have become the talking point, the buzz for many, and very often the headlines are not positive. People who dare utter unpopular or undogmatic Opinions, due to the current progressive environment we are living in, are very often dragged on Twitter, as Dave Chappelle said. Comedy was once a relative safe space where you could say things, and as long as you weren't being overtly bigoted or hateful, it was understood that it was a joke, it was meant to make people laugh. Well, it seems that those days are long gone, or are they? To discuss this topic and to delve more into the world of comedy, I'm joined by comedian Jeremy McClellan.
3: So I'm in, in addition to being a standup comic, I'm a, a fellow at Word on Fire uh, with Robert Barron, and I recorded a, a course on comedy that's coming out soon on comedy and Catholicism and religion and stuff. And you know, I, I think that uh, the, the the there's a lot that one can say about political correctness. I mean, comedy has always been. Um, there's always been political comedians mm-hmm. uh, who, and you know, comedians are people like anybody else. We we have political views. We, uh, I think, what's different now than in the past is that audiences and and comedians are sort of you can almost like if if you're watching like Stephen Colbert on on The Late Show, you can tell that the jokes are here's a point I want to make. And then, uh, am I'm going to try and make that funny. Um, and that, that, that's a terrible way to write material. Um, it's, it makes you where, where, yeah, it's just, it's not, it's not, it's just straight up not a good way to write or to think of things that are funny. Mm -hmm. Um, and the audiences don't like it. And, uh, but what, but what I have found recently is, People sort of insist on that. So if you have a joke about something, people will try to retro, uh, not not retrofit. What's it called? Where you break something down. Um, uh, no, like reverse reverse engineer yeah, yeah. the joke to find out what you believe. Mm. So if you tell a joke about uh, Pope Francis, then it can't just be silly. Yeah. It can't just be a funny thing. It has to be. Uh, there has to be a sneaky sort of. Uh, thing underlying that um, and once you find out what that is then you can judge the comedian as on your side or not uh, and god forbid you you make a silly joke that you know makes your your own side angry because then you're sort of hurting the war effort almost mm-hmm. um, people get mad at you for that The other day, the other day we got into
2: an argument because she was saying that women still make 77 cents for every dollar that a man makes, right? But like I explained to her, that's just because men naturally gravitate towards higher paying professions, like doctor or engineer or CEO. Whereas women, this is true, just naturally gravitate towards lower paying professions, like female doctor and female engineer and female CEO.
3: So my my the only rules that I have in terms of political correctness or what I will and won't say, um, besides just like moral ones, I'm not going to blaspheme the Virgin Mary on stage. Right. But like uh, is that you can make a joke about any group of people, but it has to be done in front of that group. Now, it doesn't have to be done from that group. You got to be willing to do it in front of that group of people. And, you know, like I'm a white comic. If I have a joke, if I come up with a joke about black people, uh, that's fine. Uh, I got to go do it, you know, in a black room and and see how it goes. (laughs) And if it sucks, like or if I'm like nervous and like, oh, I don't think, you know, then there's something wrong with the joke. Like not in not in the sense that it would make people mad, but in the sense that it's not getting at something true, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is is sort of part of the essence of comedy. Comedy is uh, being um, surprised by something good, I think um starts when you're a a baby and your mom's playing peekaboo with you it's something that's surprising but it's a good thing instead of instead of horror which is kind of being surprised by something bad so there's lots of surprising things you can say um if you're doing terrible material that uh people have heard before uh then it's not going to go well and and you can't sort of be like well it was edgy and like but the problem is that it wasn't it was it was edgy to you, but it's something that they've heard every day for the last, you know. Um, so th- that's sort of my take on political correctness. Um, I-, I don't think it's ruining comedy, like in-, in-, in the sense that you can't say certain things. I think it's ruining comedy in the sense that you have to make it clear now uh, what you believe and what your joke is trying to convey, which is terrible for, I mean, sort of, it would ruin every poem, every, you know, musical piece, every song, if, if it was all just propaganda, where, where you are trying to slip something
4: in. So I'm talking about a girl here, not the government. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's right. right. Yeah. It's really interesting that so like on the sort of threshold of comedians, um, there there are comedians back in the day, for example, like George Carlin, who their entire right. thing was just making a political point. But the way they make right. it funny, um, you can't even get a decent hamburger anymore. They cook the shit out of everything now
3: because everybody's afraid of food poisoning. Hey, where's your sense of adventure? Take a fucking chance, will you? You know how many people die in this country from food poisoning every year?
4: 9,000, that's all, it's a minor risk. Right. Um, on the opposite yeah. spectrum, you might have someone like Anthony Jesselnick where it is crude, but really, I mean, the, the joke is ultimately in the wit and the twist. Like about a month ago, some kids in my neighborhood are playing hide and go seek and one of them ended up in an abandoned refrigerator. It's all anybody talked about for weeks. I said, who cares? How many kids do you know get to die a winner? Those are, those are kind of polar opposites. I mean, they're both a little bit crude, but um, so, so you're saying that that we, we've kind of gone between that threshold um, and we've stepped aside from that. And now you can't even make a joke. You can't uh, do anything because it all has to be transparent. Here's what I'm trying to get at. Right, right. So you have to, and, and, and I don't know how, how
3: much this is like what you really have to do because, you know, Anthony Jeselnik has lots of jokes about topics and you can't tell what he thinks from the jokes. Yeah. You can't. Uh, it's it's not super super obvious. I mean, you he's a basic liberal, like, and he's a sweet guy, but like he's he's not. Uh, um, like yeah. So, but you, so maybe you can tell that, but you can't tell. You know when he jokes about like a city what he like really thinks about the city, you know, I mean, it's just, it's a joke. Um, and the, the purpose of jokes is to, is to surprise you and make you laugh. And uh, you're, if you laugh with a group of people, that's really good for solidarity with other people and with uh, um, sort of group, group, group cohesion. Uh, and it's really good for your mental health because you don't feel as lonely. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's great. What I, well, what I find in, Uh, the like Twitter sort of um, canceling comedians kind of thing is it's usually a group of people who punch way above their weight. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's not a very large group of people. It's not most people. It's a group of people that can make you feel uh, they're really good at this. They make you feel like everyone hates you right now. And the way that they write is like, you have been canceled. You have been uh," (laughs) and like, there's no, there's no like boss, there's no CEO of comedy who's going to fire you. Yeah. So you can just keep talking unless Twitter bans your account or something, but like, uh, so, but, but they make you feel mm-hmm. like, well, like you've really screwed up now and then you start apologizing and that, that's when you, that's when careers get over is when yeah. you start apologizing, uh, just to, just to placate the mom. Yeah. Um, because it's a lot like a hostage situation where at first their demands are reasonable. You know, they're like, I want a pizza. Right. And they're like holding a bank hostage. I want a pizza. I want like, you know, some a drink. Uh, and then later on, they're like, I want a helicopter and a passport. And they're like, yeah, you're not getting a helicopter. And but in, like no matter what happens with these people, they will always shoot the hostage at the end. There's no, there's no like, okay, thank you for apologizing. We are now your fans. What's when's your next show? Uh, We're going to come. So um, meanwhile, by apologizing, you've just insulted all of the people that thought it was funny. Yeah. Right. So uh, and so now you have nobody. Um, And it's like, I'm all for like apologizing. If you really think independently, which is hard to know but like really independently think that you've you've messed up uh, then by all means apologize to people one-on-one like if someone ever came up to me and was really angry, it hasn't happened. Like really angry at something I said, you know, I'll talk to them and I'll, you know, if, if I really offended them be like, I'm really sorry that happened. But like when someone does that in public, you're not their audience, not actually talking to you. It's very rare that you get sent a, a message by someone on social media and they're like, Hey, just want to, I want to Matthew 18 this. I want to talk to you like one-on-one first and like, uh, and address this. Uh, just and
4: corrections.
3: you really, yeah, no one does that. No one, no one takes you aside and does that. Um, and so that that's really all you need to know about like the sincerity of it. Um, and I mean, this is what, it's what Bill Burr always says. It's like, if you really think, that all oh, this is a huge problem. Just, just stay away from Twitter and go to the clubs because like the test of, of material is whether it does well live mm-hmm. yeah. because one thing that uh, I think a lot about is that when you make someone laugh, it, it's a pre-rational uh, it's not irrational, but it's a pre-rational um, reaction where like, they don't think about it first and then they're like, Oh, ha, ha, ha. like no one does that. But on Twitter, social media, people do think about it first, mm-hmm. and then they decide whether to like it or not. So you can have a joke that crushes in person, that always does well in person, but that you'll get dragged for and nobody will like on Twitter because they have to, they have to think about it first. But there's always that, that thing that happens where people laugh a lot, and then they're like, oh, that was horrible. Yeah. And it's like, "Not nah, too late. It's too late. You already laughed. I already got what I wanted, right? Um, so you know, as a comedian, you have to pay attention to that you have to pay attention to people's actual in-person reactions um and don't take much stock in the uh sort of twitter uh like algorithm and like the technology that sort of has you think about
4: something exactly well there is a natural segue here um to dave Chappelle. dave Chappelle said they dragged Mm -hmm. me on twitter because i don't care that's not a real place when sticks and stones came out a lot of people in the trans community were furious with me, and apparently they dragged me on Twitter. I don't give a fuck because Twitter's not a real place. But Dave Chappelle has been the focus and the brunt of a great deal of these cancellation efforts, and kind of along the vein of South Park, he seems uncancelable no matter right. what he does. Um, I, I don't know if you, you... I imagine you watched all the latest specials, but um, for anyone yeah. who did watch or who paid attention... Um, no, and, I've, I've seen all of them, yeah. Uh, you use the language... Uh, about not punching down. And the the point that Dave Chappelle is making throughout all these series is simply, and he states this bluntly, that he is envious of the LGBTQ progressive activist movement because in a very short amount of time, they've surpassed the black community. We blacks, we look at the gay community, and we go, God damn it, look how well that movement is going.
0: (laughs) Look how well you are doing and we've been trapped in this predicament
4: for hundreds of years.
0: How the fuck are you making that kind of progress?
4: The point he's making throughout all these specials is not to bash on or discriminate or to persecute uh, the trans community. He's simply Mm -hmm. making jokes at the expense of uh, his own community, basically, because he's suffering and envious for what's going on there. But they seemed to miss that nuance. They seemed to not be able to accept that it was a a joke. He speaks very sort of uh, lovingly about his friend who happens right. to be trans, um, mm-hmm. but what do you make of this massive concerted effort to destroy him, to drag him on Twitter, um, to do all of this stuff when he's clearly <laughs> in comedy very much for its original yeah. intention to speak from a place of hurt for a community? Right, and and he's, I, I mean, I think what he, what he is, and
3: this is what I've always told uh, sort of Christian artists in general is their one advice and I'm like, just be... Like undeniably good at it. I mean, Dave Chappelle is undeniably good. Yeah. Uh, if anyone says that he's not funny, like they're they're just wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, like <laughs> uh, it's yeah, you're not you don't know what you're talking about. Um, and so when you do that, then I, I think it's really hard to cancel you like full time. So I, I think that one one kind of um, thing. No, like no one complains when they go viral and they get famous really fast Mm -hmm. and uh and that's a bunch of people that that's basically the mob loving you uh for something and then they and and then when you say something that the mob doesn't like and they move on or they say they don't like you anymore that's not like being persecuted you know what i mean like that's not like you can't you can't complain about that if you're not gonna you know that's what you signed up for is is sort of the, like what I don't like on either end is c- cause getting famous really fast can mess you up. Cause now you're yeah. stuck in, in that, in that uh, mode. And you tell one joke about like, I don't know, rice. And then now you're like the rice comedian and you're like, oh, but I really want to talk about all this other stuff.
1: I like rice. Rice is great when you're hungry and you want 2000
3: of something. Well, <laughs> like, so uh, it is the speed at which this happens. Um, especially where people get fired, uh, for their employers. I mean, like by their employers, um, for, I mean, and and at that point, it's almost like it's a labor issue where, uh, you like the mob should not be able to put so much pressure on you, uh, on your boss so that they will fire you within 24 hours with zero, uh investigation because the mom's going to forget about you in a week mm-hmm. like they're not going to even remember what what you I mean it's like that's why facebook had to invent the the memories part is just to remind you what you were mad about a year ago
2: yeah.
3: uh because because you're not going to remember and i know uh neil brennan's great comedian he had this great thing he, he was on uh comedians getting coffee in, co- in cars with coffee with jerry seinfeld and he said just wait two weeks." just if you're still mad about this in two weeks, like I'll talk about you. And, and I, I have heard of a lot of Silicon Valley people putting in their contracts now when, when they get hired, like a cooling off period where there's like a month where if something happens, like they have a month and then like reassess uh, that. Um, and I, I think that's the crux of it because you can't, especially if you sort of agree to be in the public eye, I mean, if you're a comedian and you're saying stuff in public, the goal is to change people's opinion. The goal is sometimes to make people angry, uh, and you know, th- there's it's 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 kind of like getting in the boxing ring. There's there's a certain amount of like, okay, now I'm signing up for this. The the when I think of cancel culture, I think of the speed at which it happens, and I think of going after regular people, where uh, someone gets caught on tape or something and they get fired, and, and they get fired in 24 hours, right? Yeah. Um, uh, that, that, that I think is just fundamentally unjust. Like, it's not what we've signed up for, it's not what the average person is signed up for. Yeah. Um, so yeah.
4: It's interesting, and you, you talked about sort of, there is this democratization of comedy, of entertainment mm-hmm. with YouTube, Twitter, and all this stuff. But right. one of the things we lose with that is you don't have this sort of editorial uh, oversight of a corporation. Um, so right. someone is maybe willing to take that dangerous extra step to potentially get famous. Um, they're willing mm-hmm. to rush to the next stunt um, to get famous. And then the substance isn't necessarily there to make something that will last. So they're always right, sort of right. uh, reaching for those next things. Um, so very much we see people going to those extremes for for both the audience outreach. But then right. someone who's willing to go to those extremes is inevitably likely to make an ex- a mistake by going to an extreme <laughs> right. again. So it's almost like this self-repeating, vicious prophecy or a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. And and th- there is a paradox
3: where uh, hierarchical institutions can allow for a lot of weirdness within them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, whereas like very decentralized systems uh, can promote, uh, you know, conformity because all you have is the mob yeah. and... You you have to appeal to the mob. And uh, whereas like if, if you have a patron, for example, like who buys your stuff then you can do whatever, you know. Um, yeah. So, the, yeah, there there is a paradox there where the more that we become decentralized and the, like the fewer gatekeepers there are, which there's a lot of benefit to that, especially if you're a part of a group that is being shut out of yeah. the uh of the of the main system but it's it's not like it used to be where you uh you were you know trying to impress these this group of people yeah. and then now it's you try to reach as many people as possible and then you go to those group those th- those people and be like hey i have 500,000 fans uh i want to book this this theater and they're like great you know um you know pr- proof of concept
4: yeah, it's really interesting you say that. Though in Canada, it is almost like back in the day to many extents because um, almost all, like our media company, does not accept any. Our news organization does not accept any money from from the government, but almost yeah. every news organization does. So mm-hmm. even if something seems a, a blatantly false or inaccurate, but it's what the government is currently stating, um, right? All media organizations will push that. Um, Canada being generally very progressive as well, Mm -hmm. the mob very often, even if it's that small group of people exerting an inordinate influence, um, they're pushing very often those same sort of talking points and taking the government at face value. So in in Mm -hmm. our case, it's interesting because almost all of the pressures are unilateral. Um, There's no very few, we're one of the few voices telling the other side of the story, alongside a couple other outlets. Um, How, one of the things that I'd like to sort of ask you is, Not to say that a that a comedian has to have a distinct political uh, bent, but I think there is a general sort of progressive or liberal lean throughout comedy, and there are very very few voices um, sort of speaking to that or countering that. Right, Um, you know,
3: I think, uh, yeah, I mean, that's very true. Obviously, you know, you you go to comedy shows, and there's, but you know, there's there's like there's nothing about the like the art form of comedy uh other than you want to surprise people Mm -hmm. um i mean part of just comedic you know being it has to surprise you surprising people with words okay Mm -hmm. and uh, i'm trying to think of how i explain to my daughter what i do for a living and like what jokes are she's three and i'm like you're surprising people with words saying something funny and surprises people and they laugh and uh so because of that you know, you, you're you not just going to say things that uh, they already know to be true. Um, it, like, instead, you are sort of, I mean, as a, as a comedian, you are a destabilizing force w- w- when you're performing. I mean, you're, you're, you're unsettling people.
2: South Carolina actually has a very rich progressive history. I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, South Carolina actually started
3: the war that ended slavery, and so perhaps there is something sort of inherently uh, like non-hierarchical or leftist about it that sort of appeals to people who want to change things um, and shock people. Uh, but you know, I know conservative comedians that are just not—they don't tell people they're conservative. Yeah. Uh, but but um, I I I, th- I I really think that. It has to be, um, you have to have a worldview, uh, that sort of grounds your, your voice as, as a comic. Uh, and maybe you don't know what that is yet. When you start doing, you know, comedy, you're just talking about, you know, things that you think are funny, but then you start thinking about why you think those things are funny and what, like, what your purpose is and stuff. And I, I do think that, um, that there's the industry part of it where there's pressure on you and, and, and there's pressure to tell a certain kind of story. You know, I do a lot of uh, shows. I was in the UK, I was doing a tour uh, with a bunch of Muslims uh, and I do a lot of comedy, like I've toured Pakistan and stuff mm-hmm. and I've done a lot of comedy for Muslim audiences. And even though I'm a like pretty conservative Catholic and I think that's why is that I take, I take religion seriously instead of uh, just not, you know, be, being secular. But I think that there is and I've, I've, like I've talked to Muslim comics about this, too, where there is a certain story that you're allowed to tell uh, about yourself in order to be accepted into Hollywood, whatever. And it is so as, as a Catholic, you're allowed to be born Catholic. OK, uh, you're allowed to uh, like and, and, and like not believe it anymore. Right. That's always great. Um, And you're allowed to maybe still be Catholic, but like like they want to see that you are going where history is Biden,
4: Trudeau Catholic.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But like you are your life story is to should 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 be in the trajectory of like Whig history like you are supposed to. Uh, be moving from traditionalism to yeah. uh, the the the, uh, the city on the hill of Hollywood, right? Yeah. Um, and th- and that's also true of me as a Southerner. I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. I still live here, born and raised. And uh, whenever like southerners perform we're supposed to talk about how racist our parents were and how like we were super homophobic but then we met a gay guy in college and everything changed whatever and if you're muslim uh especially you're supposed to be like well it's, it's the same story but it's like you have to talk about like your parents back in pakistan you know who are like stupid right yeah and and because they're from traditional cultures where people get married and have kids right and you're supposed to move to that. And there's plenty of Muslim comics where, like, they, that, that's the pinch of incense they do. Uh, and th- that's the story they tell. Um, yeah. What you can't be ever is someone who uh, was raised regular or just raised like anybody else and has become more traditional over time. Yeah. Like, th- that, is, that is the worst thing you can possibly So You, you can never like, convert to Catholicism, which is what I did like two years ago. Um, because you're moving in the wrong direction. Like that's not the way history's going. Yeah. Uh, you're you're investing in Enron, you yeah. know, right now. Like it's it's a terrible idea. Um, and sometimes it does feel that way, but uh like that that I think is the price of admission, where you can be a member of any group as long as you basically have the same story. Um
4: it's really interesting. I want to uh, jump back before we move too much further. Yeah. It's interesting how you said like comedy is sort of this counterpoint or at least this like stirring agent within society yeah is it just me or like if you look back at the 90s where every family was basically full house i'm joking but it was more sort of traditional then i in my opinion many of the best sort of comics were progressive and they were a counterpoint towards homogenous society now society is extremely homogenized but it shifted towards progressivism and non-nuclear families and all this sort of stuff right and the the comedians like there's lots of comedians out there that they want to push and want to be popular but the ones who are extremely yeah. popular are like dave Chappelle, bill burr people who are saying things that are destabilizing i think people want to some extent to be mildly offended because society is so yeah. counter-offense that they want to be shaken out of their sort of stagnant this is the way it is um would you agree yes and, and and that's
3: important and that i i i think that that's what important is that people have a desire, I think, uh to, to know the truth. Mm-hmm. And I think that um like I say this in my word on fire course, but um uh I very much think that comedy is is within the art the art is is, is the art form of the apophatic tradition in Catholicism where it you know it works by negation. Uh so you're um like Pseudo Dionysius type uh it's i don't want to get too too weird with it but um Go for it. the well <laughs> comedy clears the way yeah. like you are you are calling people you are calling people out you are destroying people's illusions um you are uh showing the contradictions and you know even even just a pun right a dumb pun where like you, you you're showing that words are that the the, the connection that people have between words and their meaning is unstable. Like words can mean two things, even something like that.
2: Democrats argue that banning abortion would endanger women's lives, violate the right to privacy, and send everyone who works at Planned Parenthood to prison. Although to be fair, we don't like to use the word prison. It's more of a
3: clump of cells. It surprises you sometimes. Um, And so I think that uh, properly speaking, it clears the way for um, a genuine encounter with reality um, and ultimately i think with god where even comedians who are atheists when they trash god are they trashing god or are they trashing this image that we have of god uh which i think is the biggest problem that we have is we imagine god as another person like some guy in the sky and he's doing things and so when Tig Notaro Uh, got cancer and she did a set on it. And she was joking about people saying, well, you know, God never gives you more than you can handle. Um, As if God is up there looking at her and being like, "Eh, she can handle a little more. Right. Uh, And then just, you know, give like like God is jigsaw, like from saw just coming up with elaborate torture devices to people. Um, and, And so when an atheist makes those kind of critiques and makes those jokes. It's easy for religious people to get offended, uh, but um, properly understood, uh, atheists just, they don't believe in a God that we also don't believe in. And so that can be really helpful. And like thinking about me, I'm I'm married. uh, I've been married for uh, almost seven years now. And one thing that's great about friendships, including spouses, is that uh, you insult each other, you make fun of each other Mm -hmm. and you tell jokes about each other. And that I think does sort of clear the way um, for a genuine encounter with the other person. Um, And so uh, I, I think, whereas, you know, comedians who only tell you what you want to hear Mm -hmm. or make jokes that sort of soothe you. Like they don't get genuine laughs. Uh, they get, they get claps and, uh, and right. Or they're, they get laughs because in the studio, there's a big sign that says laughter and you have Mm -hmm. to laugh and, or it's a Netflix special and they Mm -hmm. literally fill the seats with people who laugh, um, really well. And uh, so, uh, that I think is a lot of what's going on with you know comedians who who think their job is to just soothe people's illusions. But I think that comedians and maybe this goes to you know most comedians struggles with like with mental health, where there is a kind of joker uh, mentality that we have where like we want to get at the truth, and one way you get at the truth is by uh, making fun of stuff and. Like, and when you go to like, you know, punching down, but like that whole thing, I think that's, that's just people trying to create moral codes where there's no tradition, where they're like, well, we don't have a belief system at all. So let's create a moral code that's just about like, don't hurt people who have X amount of power, whatever. But like, it's a, it's a real gift to someone to, to destroy an illusion they have. Yeah. It's the, that's a really beautiful thing to do to somebody. And so it, if you make fun of someone's belief system uh and then
4: and it resonates like, heaven forbid yeah, maybe
3: they're down, but you've just I mean, it, maybe it sets them free of you know from that. Uh if it's done well and done properly and like and you're really good at that. Then uh if you're bad at it, then you can't just do it and suck and then be like, I only suck because they don't like what I have to say. Um, but yeah. I mean, like, so I don't like the whole punching down, punching up rule because um, there's plenty of people who are up who uh, deserve to be up yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're honorable people. And, uh, you know, like trying to destroy them is yeah. is sort of a way of um, uh, like if you if you trash a bishop, for example, uh, and he doesn't deserve it at all, but you're just filthily. Uh, are you punching up at that point? Like, I mean, he's a bishop. Okay. But like, yes, you're punching up, but like, it's, it's also, so, I I mean, I think all of this is just a a way of trying, trying to, trying to create a code uh, that sort of will guide comedians, mm -hmm. but comedians as a group don't share the same worldview with each Mm -hmm. other.
4: And there's also, I mean, it's like, it's part of the sort of victimhood Olympics where everyone's Everyone is saying that they're down, but then they're the ones dragging you on Twitter. Right. So in what sphere, who is up? You look at someone like Robin Williams, who for many would have yeah. been way up there, and then clearly in his personal life, he was dealing with some extreme sort of emotional issues. So what we yeah. perceive as up, they might be down. Um, this whole arbitrary metric of determining who is up and who is down, um, I think, is extremely false. It's like a, I mean, I guess it's a decent rule of thumb, maybe. Yeah. Like,
3: but like. It, Again, it's just a way of uh, sort of like you know now, now that like we don't we're, like we're part of a global society and none of us share the same worldview, even though we act like we do. We act like there's a like I was uh, I think Liz Brunig said that um, liberals always uh, are talking to an invisible referee. Like like there's nobody there who's going to actually do what they're like. I'm going to tell I'm going to tell him what, what you said. And you're like, OK, um, but uh, like it's just in that situation where no one has a shared worldview, I mean, even among like the comics that I'm friends with in Charleston, like we're all funny. We're all friends, but like like <laughs> some of them deeply immoral people that like I don't agree with. And uh, so when like the, like there's no rule that's going to like guide what I say uh, that's that they're going to accept. Yeah. Right. Um and yeah so a lot of that i think is just this is hopeless
4: and i think a big part of that too is i think to experience comedy um as comedy is intended versus this just propping up of your values you actually need yeah. to, to some extent uh love or respect the person on stage at least to the extent of saying well i'm interested in their opinion and when dave chappelle talks about his trans friend laughing yeah. the loudest and being in the front row while he's making jokes about that community um right we as Catholics endure the brunt of a ton of jokes it's sure. it's, it's sure. We're, we're, we're prime and, and you can
3: always tell I mean I think that uh well, I mean one thing I mentioned this in my course but like uh like because it's there's like seven courses each one's like one of the virtues and like how comedy relates to it and last one the love and uh Insults are an act of love, um, I think, uh, but they sort of rely on loving the person. They only work if, if you love the person. And that's true of roasts, where w- when you do a comedy roast, which I've, I've done a bunch of them, like the person being roasted is, is someone that you love.
1: Um, when we were looking for a roast master, we called Jamie Foxx, uh, Chris Rock, and they both couldn't do it. Um, then I had a great idea. Let's call Kevin Hart and see if he has Dave Chappelle's number. <laughs>
3: No, I have huge. And if if a comedian does get invited to do the roast, it, it, who doesn't love the person? Like they hate them. It's it ruins it ruins it because uh, you can always tell. And, and 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 like growing up, like you you know you're bullied by by people. Um, and but the bully is always is is making fun of things that your friends also make fun of you for. So you can't have like a list of things that you can't make fun of. Like your friends are also calling you fat. Uh, and, but like when the bully does it, he's doing it to like exclude you from his like group. Like he can't. And, and like the bully can't play. The bully is incapable of playing. He's trying to establish himself above you in a hierarchy. Whereas your friends are, they love you and they're calling you fat which if you take that to heart means that being fat doesn't make you unlovable, which is a really important thing to know. And that's one thing that insults can teach you. Um, But so, yeah, so you have to love the people that you are um, making fun of and you have to love the audience. You have to be doing it. uh, You you have to be rooting for them. Uh, Whereas if you just want to destroy them, I think, I think it also hurts your your material because you're not you're not interested in liberating someone from their illusions. Instead, you're interested in. In fact, you might even get mad if they change. Right. That's one thing. Like if you make fun of somebody or you you sort of (laughs) it's sort of like Jonah getting mad that like Nineveh converted. I always think of that when like there's this there's this moment where someone that you don't like becomes a better person. And you're like, dang it. Right. like you have to hope, you have to hope that that the people that uh, you are against, your enemies, will become your friends. Not that you don't have enemies, but you're hoping that they will become your friends.
4: You know, Jeremy, I want to thank you so much for uh, sitting down and having this oh, yeah. yeah, Where can folks find you? You mentioned the word "on fire," of course, but where can folks check you out? Yeah, uh, I just <laughs> look him up on social
3: media, Jeremy McClellan, uh For and just follow me on social media for tour dates
4: and you know when I'm going to be in your city and stuff. So. Well, I want to thank Jeremy for his inside perspective into the world of comedy. Truly some meaningful and substantial insights from him. And for everyone out there, I hope you enjoyed our conversation. For Rebel News, I'm Adam Sos. Hey guys, if you wanna support the work we do at Rebel News, go to rebelnewsstore.com now and grab a shirt for yourself. Lots of the shirts there are funny and comedic and sure to get a rise out of your friends. If you use the code ADAM10, you can also get 10% off your order now. Again, go to rebelnewsstore.com. What do you think you have an immune system for? It's for killing germs. But it needs practice. It needs germs to
3: practice on. So, so listen. So listen, if you kill all the germs around you and live a completely sterile life, then when germs do come along, you're not gonna be prepared. And never mind ordinary germs, what are you gonna do when some super virus comes along that turns your vital organs into liquid? I'll tell you what you're gonna do, you're gonna get sick, you're gonna die, and you're gonna deserve it, because you're weak and you got a weak immune system.